This month on the Enra Life podcast, we are interviewing beautiful human beings who we happen to know who are different from us personally. And we are asking our audience to show up, not necessarily needing to understand before they listen, not needing to be sympathetic or empathetic. We're just asking you to be open-minded, asking you to listen, learn, and have compassion for others, especially when they're not the same as you. Do you ever feel like you are the only one living a life that is too hard to handle? Welcome to the In Raw Life podcast, where we're going to talk about real life in its raw form. Each week, we'll dive into the stuff that nobody really likes to talk about because it's uncomfortable, painful, a little awkward, or just weird. We want to normalize all of that and help you realize that you can live out your dream even in life's messiness. I'm Sierra. And I'm Jessica. And we're living our dream lives in real life, in raw life. Welcome back to another episode of the In Raw Life podcast. We are so excited about this month, getting to share different stories from all different walks of life. And uh, just like Jessica said in the intro, we want you to be able to hear these stories so you can learn. And um, we ask that you come to each story with an open mind and an understanding and an appreciation for the fact that there are a billion stories out there. As many as there are people, there are stories. And we want these, we want stories that are not our own to be lifted up so that we can understand people from all different backgrounds and all different experiences. With all that being said, I'm super excited because today we are interviewing Leah, who is one of my really good friends. I met her when I lived in California. We started having babies around the same time, and she's just been an amazing mama to uh, get to walk through motherhood with. So Leah, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Now, the reason I asked Leah to be on the show is because, Leah, you come from um, parents from two different races, yeah. and I feel like that has had to play into your story and um, <laughs> and the way that you grew up. So can you talk about what it was like growing up in the 90s with were, – were you in, like, the Pennsylvania area, right? In Los Angeles. Oh, you were. Like, uh, mm-hmm. Oh, you went to school in Pennsylvania, but you grew yeah, up in the co- valley. Yeah, I went to college in Pennsylvania, but I've um, been in L.A. my whole life. Other than yeah, I was going to say, wait, before we get into that story, can since I don't know Leah at all besides meeting her today, can I just, like, get a little snippet of who she is, like, what she does, yeah. how many kids she has, that kind of stuff? That's yeah. True. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> so, I'm Leah. <laughs> no, I am a labor and delivery nurse. Um, I've been for about a little over 10 years. And I've been married for almost nine years. And I have five children, with the oldest being six. So there's a lot of little people in my house. Yeah. Um, and I love animals. Uh, so I also have a lot of pets, which drives my <laughs> husband crazy. And um, I recently took a horseback riding. So that's, <laughs> that's so fun. <laughs> so I just, I love adventure and um, my family and Jesus and... Um, just trying to make it through with a lot of coffee. 
love yes. it. Well, thanks. <laughs> it's good to know, like, all the little things. I also, I love that you, like, took up horseback riding. Like, you have so much going on, and yet you're not afraid to, like, take time for yourself to do something that you enjoy. That's, like, we are I so hearing that. trying to encourage women to still do, what, like, what's inside of them. I love that. Yeah, that's new. I that I realized like how big of a deficit that was. Like I really just wasn't making time for it. So I was just like, you know what? Like y'all just gonna figure out breakfast for yourself in the morning because I'm gonna I'm gonna go do something too. Oh, I love it. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Sorry for jumping straight into it, and I'm not even introducing. No, that's okay. I'm like, I know Leah. The rest of you do too, right? <laughs> Okay. Thanks, Jess. Thanks for getting mm-hmm. us back. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So okay, now, so now that we know who you are, yeah. Now I want to hear the rest. Okay. So um, yes, I am biracial. So my dad is black, and mom is white, and they are from Omaha, Nebraska. Um, and they met in high school, and they were high school sweethearts. So um, they kind of uh, it, they they met in like the early eighties, like the early eighties, Omaha, Nebraska. Uh, rural town, um, having a black boyfriend and white girlfriend was not, uh, was not very kosher. And so they met a lot of, um, racism on both sides. Both of their families were not happy about it. And they thought a lot of, um, nasty stuff happened somewhere around town and in school. So, so they moved to Los Angeles because they thought that, um, that was one place that they would be hmm. more accepted. And that's where, um, my brother and I were raised. And then just as, a as a background, once they had started having children and their families saw them become a family, then a lot of the racism really died down once they, because they really thought that like, if you have, you know, little brown children or mixed children, they're just going to ruin their lives and they're going to be so confused. And, um, and all of a sudden they saw that that wasn't true. Then they were like, Oh, maybe this, there's something to this, you know, this loving people thing. <laughs> so their families really grew a lot. And, um, on, on both sides of all different generations just watching uh, our family. And now there's multiple biracial relationships within both of their families. Hmm. That's beautiful. So that's pretty cool. Um, and then, um, <laughs> for me growing up, <laughs> you can't have the headphones. Nope, nope, nope. Um, this is Nola. She is one of my twins. She's one and a half. Um, so for me growing up, <laughs> thank you. Um, it was... It was not like I didn't sort of love overt racism. Like I didn't get um, called the N word, um, or like people just being just nasty. I think it was um, it was just made clear to me on multiple occasions throughout my childhood that like the fact that I was mixed, it was like um, like well, at least you're not all black type of thing. Like mm-hmm. I got a lot of um, like kids at school saying, "Well, like well, you're not really black, so at least you." You're, you're okay or like you know your hair is is so much nice you know a lot of talks about my hair because I have more wavy curly hair versus kinky curly hair so people are saying that um you know yeah at least I have that or you know you're pretty for a black girl or at least you don't talk like you're black and things like that so um I just got a lot of subliminal messages saying that like the black side of things is like less valuable um so that really played into my psyche, like wishing that I was different or that my hair was straight or that, um, 
I look like other people or just feeling less valuable because I wasn't, I wasn't more white, um, which I didn't really fully realize the effects of that until I was an adult and definitely when I became a mom, um, but just the, the lack of value for you know, a whole part of my family. And I think also the lack of, of self-confidence I had about my heritage and, you know, I'm, I'm Irish and I'm, you know, African and all of the things that come into that. And there's nothing wrong with it or shameful or um, less valuable. Um, there's no less rich of a culture. Um, so as an adult, I really had to like re-teach myself a lot of the things that I believed uh, growing up. Wow. And so that, that was from kids, right? Like that wasn't from yeah. adults. That was from well, kid, students? Kids, and, kids and adults. Like I remember one of my first interviews, I was like 16, just got my first work permit. And in one of my interviews at, at the mall, the lady was like, oh, look, so what are you? Because people were confused. Like, am I Hispanic? Am I black? Or whatever. She's like, I can tell you something. And I was like, I'm half black. And she's like, oh, that's so good that you don't sound like it. She's like, oh, your parents did such a good job. Like, that you are you don't talk like you're black. And I was just like, oh, like, so did I get the job? <laughs> just like, but, like, a lot of people would say, adults, adults included, this really ignorant stuff. Like, mm-hmm. um anywhere from like just nail technicians saying crazy stuff. You just, you just hear it throughout society from um, children and adults and children who, who got that from their parents. Um, mm-hmm. I remember uh, being like in early middle school, like just, it was like my first time like being out with other girls who were like, I don't know, 12, 13, we got to like go get pizza by ourselves. And it was like so exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like, the conversation turned to like skin color and you're like, Oh, at least I'm not like black. It was just like, oh, like, you know, just things like that. Like, people didn't, no one ever meant to hurt my feelings. They would just be like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm becoming more and more aware that, like, this is not desirable. Mm. Which I don't think that people, I, I don't think that people would have necessarily said if I wasn't bi- biracial. I think that there's, like, this, like, false sense of, like, I don't even know the right word, like, safety or, mm-hmm. like, um, I'm kind of like in like a buffer between like real black people. So it's like she's like she's safe enough to say things that we think that I wouldn't necessarily say to someone who we could tell was all black type of thing. That's mm-hmm. what I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did you in your school did you not have a lot of like all black students when you were growing up? No. Um I went to Catholic school, private Catholic school in LA and I think there was one black boy in my class who everyone is like, when you, you like hook up, it's like, you know, who's going to be whose girlfriend? I was like, that was my only choice. Like, like, every, like that was like the, the predetermined, like we were the couple because we were the only black kids in our class. Um, and there was a few black kids throughout the school. But I remember like when I was uh, like really young, like kindergarten, first grade, there was one older girl, um, who was like one of the few black girls in school and I just like idolized her so much because it was like she looks like me her hair is like mine like and like, even as an adult like I still follow her on Facebook and like there's still this like child childlike um just like fascination with her because she was like the first example I saw of someone who looked like me <laughs> so let's talk about that a little bit then what is it like I mean I think times are definitely changing now but growing up and seeing like predominantly white dolls, white characters, white cartoons. Like, what can you speak to that at all? 
Um, yeah, I definitely think that that played into um, my perception of, of my blackness being less desirable because all of the the things that I loved, you know, like Little Mermaid and Disney princesses and the shows I watch on TV, um, of like my Disney Channel favorites, like everyone looked so different from me. And I specifically remember being like young, maybe like five or six, and um, my cousins from my mom's side, who are out, I was really close with, were all the same age. I had always loved hanging out with them. And then I saw like a printed picture of us for the first time that my mom put, put on our refrigerator. And I had like my hair out and like a big afro. And my cousins were like these like cute little other five year olds or maybe even younger with like their long blonde hair or brown hair. And I was just like, wow, there's such a stark difference. I was like, mm-hmm. so they're beautiful and they're cute. And so that means I can't be because I look so different. Mm-hmm. Um, or I remember like I had like cabbage patch doll that someone had given me that was like a my first like brown doll and um I didn't like it as much as the other dolls and I was like why don't you play with that one and she's like what did you name it and I was like um I named it vomit and like I didn't know what vomit meant I was like a really very young child but I knew that like this one was brown and so like I didn't want to play with that one I want only want the white dolls and I was little like way too young to understand like any of the like what those connotations were I just knew that like one thing was pretty and one thing was not, and I wasn't that one. So, and it's it's been interesting, like as an adult and like in therapy, trying to like unpack all of that. Mm-hmm. And and this is coming from someone who never experienced, like no one ever like intentionally said nasty things to me. This is just stuff that was like osmosis throughout my childhood, and unpacking how that you know plays into my life as an adult, as a parent, um, my own like self esteem and self worth, and like people-pleasing nature that I think all kind of has ties to not really feeling valued, which no one ever made, you know, no one ever went out of the way to make me feel that way. Like, I know a lot of people who grew up with people who said really nasty things on purpose or whose parents put, you know, uh, really damaging things into their heads, and that wasn't even my story. This is just, like, kind of normal, easygoing uh, childhood, but there was still plenty of subliminal um, damage. Was wow. was it ever like, like did your parents kind of handle any of that? Like talk about how everybody looks different and is beautiful, or or was it just like? Yeah, you know, they they didn't actually. They um, my dad who had experienced a lot of racism mm-hmm. in Nebraska in like the fifties and sixties, seventies. Um, I think he was so worn out from it that like mm-hmm. he thought that the best strategy mm-hmm. is to just not talk about it. Like, if yeah. you don't talk about it, they won't think about it. Yeah. And I think that mm-hmm. worked for a long time until um, I became a young adult and, like, just realized the gravity of how, not you know, this country works. Mm-hmm. And just, like, you know, not telling me anything for a very long time just allowed the world to tell me what all this meant. Mm-hmm. Um, and the world is mean little kids or ignorant adults and, you know, not having those conversations at home to, like, build confidence mm-hmm. and, like, prepare me for the world, I think. Um, wasn't wasn't the best way to go. So I'm trying to be really intentional. Um, yeah. <laughs> I can She's trying you. to really intentionally <laughs> hold your headphones. <laughs> no. She's so <laughs> cute. <laughs> She's exceptionally quiet, I think, too. Like, usually when Gray is here, he has a lot more to say. Yeah. So. Oh, for now. She just woke up, and she oh. still got crystal over her face. That's oh. going to change really soon. <laughs> um, yeah, I think in the, 
especially like growing up in the 90s, I feel like that was most households was nobody knew how to talk about it. So they just acted like everything was okay. Right. That's interesting. Yeah. And and it's really uncomfortable. Like I, like, Mm -hmm. I mean, there's other like non-racial issues. Like I'm like, Oh, do I have to talk to my kids about that? Like that's, you know, I'd really rather. Yeah. But like, (laughs) if you don't like, they will find out. Uh Yeah. And without, without that type of like foundation, then you're kind of just leaving it up to the world and the world can be a pretty messy place to, seriously that is so inspiring just to hear as a mom because like about like you said like even non-racial issues like i don't even like when when arrow brings up death like he knows that like bugs die but then he's like one time this is such a random tangent but the other day um he was like when are you gonna get a new husband and i was like no dad is my (laughs) husband till the day i die and he's like you're going to die? And I was like, oh, no, no, I'm not. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm definitely You're not. not. Ready to do that yet. One day I will, but I don't know when to tell you that. Like, how do you talk about these things? They're all. Same. I'm yeah. still figuring it out with the, like, yeah. um, my six-year-old says talk to us all the time. And I'm just like, can we just, can we just put a pause on this? Like, I don't have those answers yet. I'm sorry. I wasn't yeah. more prepared, but like, I can, <laughs> can we not think that way? But you can't like it once it's in their head. Like, yeah. They'll figure. They're gonna figure it out it. somehow. I've always. My daughter is nine yeah. now, and I've always been pretty straight with her about most things. And I think my parents were not quite as much as I am, but I don't think they tried to hide. I don't know. Um, but yeah, it's once it gets brought up, if you just give it to them pretty straight and in their terms, though, they don't have to understand as we as adults understand. They just need to understand on their level. And then they're like, oh, okay. That's that's how it works. That, yeah. That's helpful. Yeah. I mean, she... Like, I think yeah, trying to make him understand on my level, I'm like, uh. Yeah. <laughs> and then when, like, certain life experiences, like, my daughter happen, has happened to have, like, experienced loss at a younger age. So, like, she asks, and then she understands, too. So that just happens to work for her. But, like, at seven, she was yeah. asking, like, really how babies are made. So I was like, I'm going to do a little bit of research to understand how to explain it to you. Because luckily she was old enough <laughs> to, to accept that answer as well. Um, and I looked it up and it was like, they just need to hear what they need to hear. They don't care about the actual physical stuff. They just want to know, like, like that the two informations happened to meet. So, like, I looked up some books for her age, read it to her, and it just kind of explained it in, like, an abstract way. And when it ended, I was like, does that answer your question? She said, yep. I said, okay, perfect. (laughs) (laughs) And then I'm sure it'll come up again in like a year or so. But yeah, I would definitely rather, I'd rather anything like that come from home, including like anything Mm -hmm. racial, religion, anything like that come from home rather than like the, some of the twerps at school or something like that. Yeah. (laughs) So true. I never even thought about it like that. So I'm really glad you brought that up because it's making me rethink the things, the discussions. Yeah, seriously, <laughs> there are children's books for everything. I'm like such a huge book also person. And there's, you can just research what is a good book for this age on this topic and then just kind of read what it's about and look through it yourself first before you read it to them. <laughs> and there's everything. Yeah. Yeah, we learned that lesson the hard way with them, like Martin Luther King Jr. Davis, <laughs> the first time um, we talked about it, like, 
I guess, in-depth at home. And so we got some books. But I was like, oh, I just assumed that these are kids' books. So, like, was just reading it. And I was like, oh. Wait, what was it about? Assassination. Oh, it was a book oh. about Martin Luther King Jr. Oh. And I, I didn't prove. I just assumed that because it was a children's book that it would be fine. Mm. Um, I would not make that mistake again. Yeah. Even, like, the videos that they played at school. I was like, let me watch those first to see if, like, I'm ready to explain the breadth of that. And if not, <laughs> let me get in front of that. Because yeah. once it's once they hear it and they're like, like, she's like, what is assassination? I'm like, oh, no. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, and then just Ugh. being, like, honest, saying, I don't know how to answer you right now, but I will find the answer for you. And then, like, they're usually pretty accepting of that, too, that you're being honest with them and that mom and dad don't always know the right answer or have the right answer or have the answer that you agree with or whatever. Right. Yeah, that's powerful, too. Um, so how have, have you like, I'm guessing you may have thought about this, but like how you are choosing specifically to be different from your parents raising your kids or not, or like when it comes to racial issues. Yeah. I've had a lot of, um, really interesting conversations with, with my husband about it. Who, um, and my husband is black and both of his parents are black. So he had mm-hmm. just a different, and different, he grew up in Pennsylvania. So like a different part of the country, different experience of growing up black. And, um, there's a lot of just cultural things that, um, that he grew up having a lot of pride in that wasn't necessarily like in, intentionally instilled in him, but it was just like, this is, this is, you know, what we, we do this is the kind of food we eat the music we listen to the type of parties we have and there was there's just kind of like a security and like this mm-hmm. is who we are and and that's okay and then he grew up where it was like a, a 50 50 mix of um white and black mm-hmm. in his area so he grew up seeing a lot more people that look like him than i did mm-hmm. um so i've always kind of just admired his like self-assuredness that just comes from um that type of confidence of just just the basics of knowing that like you're valuable the way that God made you mm-hmm. and that you don't feel different. Um, and it's interesting because I met him when you we were like uh, 21, 22. So like, even at a pretty young age, just seeing the, how, um, like, the different foundations yeah. that we had. Mm-hmm. So as parents, um, we definitely feel like our oldest is six. So we have six, five, two, and two one-year-olds. So all very young. Um, but we do want to get ahead of the group as far as like what they're going to be learning in school mm-hmm. and from their friends. And the area we lived in, we live in is predominantly white, so like they are already noticing mm-hmm. um, differences. And like I said, like my first experiences that I remember that were game doing when I was you know, five, four, five, six, um, and that's my daughter's age. So just trying to make sure that we're showing. Um, even just on TV, just um, images of people that look like them. People look all all different kinds of, of races and types and orientations. Like that, it's it's normal, and that there's you, you can see people that look like you and and see them in positive um, light. And then just that people look different, and that there's so many different ways to view that. Not just as like this this one type of person is viable. This one type of person is beautiful. Um, but it is interesting, like, just as a side note, like, even with all the intentional work that we've done because of all of our conversations, it's still a struggle. Like, my, um, my daughter has this obsession with blonde hair. Like, she has beautiful curly hair that everyone always comments on. It's, it's gorgeous. And we go to the grocery store, people, people say things about it. But she has this obsession with 
with white hair, honestly. Mm-hmm. And like her friends or at school, she's like, that's you know, that's Taylor with the, with the blonde hair, or that's this person with that hair, or like she looks like Elsa, and Elsa's beautiful. And I'm just like, ah, like it breaks my heart because I feel like we've done so much work mm-hmm. to try to instill confidence and have all the right books and have certain pictures up and. And, and it's still like pervasive, um, and that's heartbreaking. Yeah. And it's uh, like I failed, but I just feel like it's such mm-hmm. a it's such a big system to tackle mm-hmm. that even with like your best intentions, there's just um, sometimes it's just a lot. Sometimes um, it's just so as far as the individual person. Like I, I mean, I have curly hair. I grew up idolizing all of my friends who had like the straight hair. Cause that's what was pretty not, you know, like I had, my mom didn't know how to handle my hair when I was younger either. So I had like, like it was Afro, like legit. And so, <laughs> and I was like, Oh, like, and I got made fun of it sometimes like in elementary school. So I was like ashamed of my hair and straightened my hair for most of my life until recently. So sometimes it's just yeah, that's- like individual, like, you know, your daughter sitting you with Noel, right? So Noelle might feel completely different. Like she might be like, I love my curly hair and like nobody's going to tell me different, you know? Yeah, that's true. That could be, it could be totally different. <laughs> She's crawling under my chair. <laughs> but it could like, it could just be too like influences like you didn't have an older sister and noelle will see ava and be like wow she's amazing like ava Mm. could possibly be like the girl in high school to you you know Mm. noelle could watch her and idolize that and so know that she's beautiful simply having an older sister which is just crazy how things like that work like you never realize what's influencing our kids or Mm -hmm. what's influencing ourselves really it's it's wild to look so deep into it so now, like, where would you say that you're at, If, like, I mean, as vulnerable as you wish to be in this moment, like, where would you say that you're at in your journey of, like, accepting yourself and things of that nature? <clears throat> um, as far as, like, accepting myself? Mm-hmm. Um, yes. I think, I think um, a, a lot of progress has been made. I think, um, I think education and, like, educating myself on... Um, not just what, um, like what different things to be, to be proud of, but I think just the history of like where a lot of the, um, that, that messaging comes from. And I think it really takes for me at least understanding like the impetus of how people started to think that way. And that like, obviously, you know, most people know that like, um, your race doesn't determine the value or, or how much God loves you, but like, where did that start to change? Like, where do people start to, um, believe that and push that in, in certain things in education or just in society throughout history? I think understanding where that those breaks happen helps me to like, then from that point, um, work through how it should be, how, how things should be seen and, um, kind of some undoing a lot of the things that, um, I believed that I was told. Um, so for me, just educating myself on um, a lot more black, black, black culture, black history, um, my, my own family's history um, has really just given me um, a lot more just self-assuredness and um, confidence and just like a fascination with it. Like I don't feel angry. I just, it's just really, um, it's really fascinating looking at the human nature side of it. And, um, 
recognizing what where things need to change and wasn't like I don't have to continue that like I as a as a young adult or as a parent can you know break that type of, of cycle in, in the conversations that I have mm. that is part one of Leah's episode check back next week and hear the rest of Leah's story as well as her rawest moment and as always thank you for listening to the show you can find us on Instagram at inrawlife.co. We also would love for you to be a part of the show by sending what strength means to you to podcast at inrawlife.com. And finally, please do us a favor. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe. We'll see you next week for part two of Leah's story. Bye.